This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident reader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up for Book Riot Insiders, and thanks for sponsoring this episode of Get Booked. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 176, and we are recording on April 9th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Greetings! Hello! The burbs are chirping and the sun is out here. There are 45 people doing yard work in my neighborhood (laughs) right now. (laughs) Springtime in suburbia, everybody! (laughs) It's just the sound of... I don't know, gas-powered machines. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> it's great. It's fine. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the weather. I don't like the noise. Yeah. Anyway, what are you reading? Uh, super light and cheerful. I am reading <laughs> The Recovering, Intoxication and Its Aftermath by Leslie Jameson. I have been I've been meaning to read this for just ever. I've had a copy for like a billion years because um, I loved her essay collection, The Empathy Exams. And I have had uh, an alcoholic or two in my life. So um, this is really interesting because it's like a memoir, but also a cultural history around alcoholism and addiction, and then particularly alcoholism in the literary world. Uh, and she's just so good at writing sentences and also sort of digging into the emotional weight of things from a very different perspective than we're used to seeing. So I'm into it so far. I'm like 100 pages in. It's solid. It's solid. Nice. I also have that and have been sitting on it since it came out like two years ago. You have to be ready for it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mine isn't happy either. I'm reading Chesapeake Requiem by Earl Swift, uh, which is a nonfiction work about Tangier Island. Um, which is a small island in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay where most of like the blue crabs everyone in the country eats comes from uh, mm. that like tiny little island. Um, and it's well famous. I don't know how famous it is. It's famous in Virginia, but I don't know how famous it is, you know, outside of Virginia um, because the people who live there are super isolated and don't like outsiders and have isolated themselves so thoroughly that they have their own accent and dialect mm. that sounds very like, kind of Welsh because they and everyone on the island is descended from one dude. <laughs> so it's a it's a weird it's a weird place. Um but it's also very quickly disappearing into the bay and will be like completely uninhabitable and underwater in the next like 10 years. But no they refuse to leave. Like people just won't leave. Um so the book is both about, you know, the people who live there and have lived there for 400 years and what will happen to them when you know their home is washed into the ocean but also what will happen to everybody who eats their food and like you know the the whole crab i don't know system of the east coast will essentially collapse when those fishermen leave 
um, or have to leave. And uh, yeah, so like not happy, but also super fascinating and about this island that is not far from where I grew up, but that I like have never been to because mostly because I hear that they don't want you to go there. But I, even though tourism is like a thing, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird little place that is huh. swiftly disappearing. And it's also an examination of climate change. Like Tangier is predicted to be the first actual victim of climate change. Like the island will be completely submerged and uninhabitable. So yeah. Fascinating and depressing. That's our theme for today. <laughs> for those most of the things. Okay. So if you are new to the show, um, how this works is we are a personalized reading recommendation show. So you can write in with your reading recommendation request. You can email us at getbookedatbookride.com or put your question in the form on uh, which is at the bottom of the show notes on the site. We accept any and all reading recommendation requests, whether they're for you or a book club or a gift or whatever. If your request is time sensitive and you're using the email, please put that in the subject line. If you use the form, just put it in big capital letters at the beginning of your question so we see it and answer it in time. If we're not going to get to your question in time or we have already answered it on the show from a different reader, then we will email you a response. So check, keep your eyes on your email, I guess. <laughs> Before we get started, I also want to mention our newest addition to our podcast family, which is Kidlit These Days. Y'all, we're really good at naming podcasts. I just need to. <laughs> so Kidlit These Days is, as you would imagine, a podcast about children's literature. And our hosts are Karina Young-Glasser, who's a bookwright contributor and also middle grade author of the Vanderbeek series, and Matthew Winner, who is a children's librarian. Um, and he has a, a separate kidlit podcast too, the Children's Book Podcast. Oh, if you are at all interested in children's literature um, for yourself or a small human in your life, then go check that out. Kidlit these days. We are, it's very new. We're on episode two, uh, just came out last week. So you can easily get caught up. Alrighty, so we are going to jump down. I'm going to read our first question. Jen will tell us about our first sponsor. We will get going. Okay, question one is also from an Amanda who says, I'll be taking a trip to New York City for the first time in June. I'm looking for books that will give me that big city feel, books based in New York or books on the history of New York City. Um, okay, so Jen will tell us about our first sponsor now. Which is actually by a longtime Bookwrite contributor, Claire Hanscom. It is Unscripted, which is a modern day take on the celebrity crush. Uh, nobody is a bigger fan of actor Thomas Cassidy than Libby is. Nobody. And that's why she's totally going to marry him. She's going to write a novel, name the main character after Tom, and find a way to get it to him. Intrigued and flattered, he will read it and ask to turn it into a movie, and their eyes will meet over the script and fade to black. Dot, dot, dot. But with four interwoven lives in play, can anything be that simple? Uh, thoughtful, quirky, and moving. Unscripted is a story of friendship and second chances and asks the question, how far can you take your dream? Uh, so as I mentioned, Claire is a longtime book ride contributor. And this book is set both in the UK, uh, in London and Cambridge, and the US in Los Angeles. So it is an intercontinental story. Uh, good for fans of One Day, Juliet Naked, and One Day in December. And it's inspired by the author's experience of fandom and love of The West Wing. So if you, too, are a West Wing fan and or have ever dreamed of presenting a script to your favorite actor, perhaps this is going to be interesting to you. Um, and Karen Tanabe, who is the author of The Gilded Years, 
says that uh, Claire deftly turns the classic tale of a celebrity crush into a modern transatlantic story that's original, emotionally honest, and a whole lot of fun. So this is available as an ebook everywhere. And the paperback is available in the US with free shipping from blackwells.com. And if you're in the UK, it is available in all of the usual places. So again, that is Unscripted by Claire Hanscom. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right. So we're looking for big city New York books. Um, I picked Open City by Teju Cole, which is a book where nothing happens. I got to tell you. <laughs> like you're, you're, it's ostensibly a book about a doctor. Or I think he's a psych resident, if I remember correctly, uh, named Julius, who walks around New York and then a little bit walks around Brussels and then walks around New York some more, having some thinky thoughts. And that's that's what happens. But it's so much deeper than that. Like he, you know, he, he does wander around a lot and have his thinky, thinky thoughts. But he also meets so many people, runs into so many people. And when he's in Brussels, also, he's like considering searching for um, some of his family, I think his grandmother. Um, Julius is Nigerian and his mother was German. So he's thinking a lot about cultural interactions um, and like racial issues and history. And also you intersperse all of that with like, Noodles on what he's going to have for dinner. Hi, I just made a joke. That was unintentional. Noodles about what he's going to have for dinner. Um, break up with his girlfriend. And, you know, the kind of stuff that you consider. I think all of us, when we're walking around, we think about, you know, I got to pay this bill. Got to feed my dog. What is the meaning of life? World War II was sad. Got to go feed my cat. Like, we all have these very odd jumps of uh, kind of stream of consciousness. And the book is not like Virginia Woolfie. Like, it's not comma, 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 comma. So I don't think that it's difficult to read. But the reason why I picked this as like a New York novel is because the people that he runs into are all connected in some way to big historical moments or big, um, like current events. Uh, you know, like they're all affected by some, the Holocaust or, cause now I'm talking about World War II. Um, or, um, uh, what am I trying to think of? Uh, injustice in, in various parts of the world. And I think that's really representative of the experience of being in New York that you never really know the person sitting next to you on the subway could be from and is probably from somewhere far away and has their own really interesting backstory and is tangled up in, you know, what's going on in our current historical moment uh, in their in their own really interesting and personal and fascinating kind of way. So he is both super introspective and like self-absorbed, but also really tangled up in the anonymity, but also um, like gravitas of New York, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so that's Open City by Teju Cole. Such a good one. Mm -hmm. I picked a more historical New York fiction novel for you. It's St. Maisie by Jamie Attenberg. And full disclosure, I'm friends with her, but I would be recommending this novel no matter what. It's so fun. It's set during the Jazz Age, and it is both really entertaining and digs into some really intense stuff because, of course, the Jazz Age is also when prohibition kicks in. Um, and the main character, Maisie, was a real person. It's based on a real person uh, who worked at a theater in the Bowery and was known for like walking the streets and giving out money to um, the homeless or, you know, drunks on the sidewalk, like making sure they got to shelters in the winter, you know, letting people into the theater for free, especially during the depression. And she had this huge reputation and was also known to be like a boozy, loud, brash kind of woman. Uh, and so 
like this novel imagines, you know, where did she come from? What was her family life like? What was she like? Like, why was she doing these things? And it's just, it's really like, it just gets so into the feel of New York. And if you spend any time in Manhattan, you can walk around the Bowery and like see some of the places that uh, Maisie was. And some of the buildings are still there. And what's cool about this novel too, is that the framing has like a modern day, person who's researching Maisie Phillips uh, within the novel. And so there is like some contemporary hooks into it, which is really fun and clever and gives you a little bit of grounding. I think if you did want to go to the Lower East Side and walk around and try to figure it out, like that, some of that stuff is referenced both in the contemporary and the historical setting of the novel. So it's really fun. It's really interesting. Maisie's an amazing character and it definitely has this big New York feel, but in a different time. So jazz age and prohibition and the great depression, all of how all of that affected the people living in Manhattan. So again, that's St. Maisie by Jamie Attenberg. All right. Next question is from Christy, who says, I love the Reading Rainbow for Adults podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. However, it has exposed a large hole in my reading experience. I'm hoping you can recommend a couple short story collections. I'd prefer audio versions as I've, I have recently joined Libro FM and need assistance spending credits. <laughs> I have only tried Nick White's collection Sweet and Low on my own, but it wasn't really my cup of tea. The stories I have enjoyed the most from the show have been The Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu, Child Finder by Octavia Butler and Graham Green by Percival Everett. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado, which is available on audio. And I picked it because you like kind of weird stuff from this list of things that you've uh, said that you really enjoyed. There's a kind of a speculative fiction theme thing happening here uh, with the short stories that you like. And the collection uh, Her Body and Other Parties is speculative it's there's just like elements of fantasy and some of the um stories there are elements of horror and then some there it's more like magical realism -y, but they are still pretty grounded in the real world which i feel like is a very octavia butler sort of i don't feel um so yeah scary <laughs> a few of them are a little scary so if that's something that you're wanting to avoid then i'm just gonna put that out there but each sort short story is they're all just like super queer they're all super feminist they're all very odd. Um, there's one that is kind of a modern retelling. I don't even know if it's modern, actually. Like, the characters are pretty timeless, and there aren't a lot of clues about when it's set. But a retelling of the ribbon around the neck folktale? Like, I've never seen that written down, but I, like, I've never read that story in a collection before, but I've heard it. Like, I've heard it told before about, you know, a woman who gets married, and she has a ribbon around her neck that she won't remove for anyone, um, and her husband keeps begging her and begging her and begging her, and finally she agrees to do it. And then what happens after that? There's a post-apocalyptic um, story, which is one of my favorites, about a woman who survives an apocalypse. I think it's like a flu uh, or some kind of, yeah, it, it was a disease um, that spreads throughout humanity. And she becomes more and more isolated, moving more and more into like um, isolated areas for her own safety. Uh, but the story is told through like her sexual encounters as the plague is completely destroying the world. And it's fascinating. There's a really creepy one about like spirits living in dresses. It's They're just... They're just unsettling, I think is the way to put it. They're not terrifying at all. But oh, the one about law and order. There's a story. That's my favorite one. Um, there's a story that is her retelling in like a flash fiction style every episode of Law and Order SVU, um, mostly through the perspective of Olivia. Um, and that is, again, really upsetting and unsettling, but so brilliant. So, so brilliant. 
Uh, and I, last I heard, they're turning this into like a TV show or some, there's some mm-hmm. kind of adaptation. Like an anthology show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be awesome. So read this and then go watch it. It's going to be not pleasant, but really enjoyable reading experience for you. So that's Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. I love that collection too. That apocalypse story that you mentioned is one of my favorites also. I love that one. Mm-hmm. It's genius. So good. I picked How Long Till Black Future Month by N.K. Jemison, And I know that I can't remember if it was for LeVar Burton Reads or for a separate event, but he has read one of her stories out loud. It's not one from this collection, but they have been in an event together and he's read it. So if you want to go listen to it, you totally can. And this is available on audio. And why I picked this collection is because, yeah, like Amanda, I noticed that you like speculative fiction um, and sort of weird stuff. And this collection has such a breadth of subject matter, even though it's by one author, it almost feels like her imagination is so wide ranging and so varied that it feels like it could be by more than one person, but it's not. It's Mm. by one amazing brain. (laughs) And so there are stories that are set in the real world, but with like just a touch of, you know, the supernatural. There's one about a woman in the South uh, in Jim, Jim Crow South, whose daughter is getting tempted away by like a fae creature. Um, so she's trying to deal with just the realities of her everyday life and then also supernatural things. There's uh, a parallel universe story. There's one about people's whose like bodies are possessed by aliens. There's, oh, there's a short story called The City Born Great that is related to the new series that she's working on. So it'll give you a little window into that. And and uh, there's just there's just so many good ones. The, one of the I think it might be the first story that kicks off is a response to the very famous short story, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas by Ursula K. Le Guin. And it's so interesting because whether or not you're familiar with that story, it's great. But if you are familiar, it t- it does such an interesting twist on what is such a classic story. So she's she's sort of responding to other things in the speculative fiction world and making them her own and then just coming up with stuff whole cloth new fascinating worlds. So I think you will get really sucked into it in the same way that I did and yeah, especially if you're a fan of Ken Liu and Octavia Butler like she's right she's right in there right up there. Uh so that is How Long Till Black Future Month by NK Jim. Okay, question three is from Mandy. It's the Amanda Mandy show. (laughs) Um, And Mandy says, I'm looking for a long, well-written saga in which I can lose myself. I enjoy well-formed and complex characters and learning about something new whenever I read, history, other professions, unique life experiences, etc. A dose of magical realism or low fantasy is fun but not necessary. Favorite books include Cloud Atlas, The Secret History, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, The Gollum and the Genie, Night Circus, and Spinning Silver. I also like Barbara Kingsolver and Isabel Allende. I tend to find out about popular books quite easily, so something off the beaten track would be great. Please know stories about parents losing kids or genocide slash war violence. All right. The off the beaten track part might be a little... Um, I might have missed that. But that's fine. It's a great book. So I picked The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert is not off the beaten track, right? She wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Super famous. Mega bestseller. Oprah book club. But The Signature of All Things is a novel, and I do not think... It's not as well known as her nonfiction. As a matter of fact, when I bring it up, most people didn't even know that she wrote it. So maybe maybe you've not heard of it. But if I think if you haven't, even if you have, you should still pick it up. It ticks all of your boxes. It's it's a saga. Um, The main character is Alma. uh, And it takes place in the 18th and 19th centuries. And it's following the Whitaker family 
Um, you start with Henry, who is born in England, makes a bunch of money in South America, moves to Philly, becomes like the most famous rich per- dude in Philadelphia as the city is like building up around his castle house. Um, and then he has a daughter named Alma, who was born in the year 1800. And then the rest of the book is just about her. Um, Alma is a brilliant botanist. And you would think that reading a book about a female botanist in like 1840 would not be a page turner, but it is. And you learn so much about moss, which is surprisingly (laughs) fascinating. Like 200 pages about moss. And I'm not talking like, you know, in Moby Dick where it's 200 pages about whaling, you know, tools and you're like, just get to the point. That's not this. Like somehow Elizabeth Gilbert makes the study of moss integral to Alma's character development. And you are like here for it. You're so here for it. But Alma is almost, this is going to sound like a really terrible comparison, but just stay with me. She's almost Forrest Gumpy a bit in that she is coasting along events, like world events and big political events. Um, She meets all of these super famous people, but keeps on living her own life. Like she's a very wealthy woman brilliant scientist and she like meets presidents you know randomly but she doesn't let it take her away from you know going back to her house and hanging out with her moss but she does travel the world she has this big adventure with an artist uh who she falls in love with um and you just are with her until you know like through her 90 year lifespan and it is such a well-crafted character study also lots of moss so i don't i I feel like i'm not selling this well because moss does not sound interesting it is so interesting (laughs) in the hands of this writer. It's just amazing. So that's The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. I somehow did not know that that book was set in Philly around the botany scene in the 1800s, because weirdly, that is the thing I have learned a bunch about since moving to Philadelphia and doing like my grave gardening and whatnot. And I'm wondering if she's based on this very specific family, a person from a family, the it's called the Wick House. I can't remember their actual last name, but I've been there. Um, and they have an amazing rose garden. It's not moss. I wonder, though. I wonder. Ooh, I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to I'm gonna have to read it. You sold that. I follow me, her anyway. on Instagram, so I'll just send her a yeah. DM. She'll answer me, right? Please do let me know. <laughs> it's probably in an interview somewhere. I'll look it up. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this show is not about me getting sold books, though. Okay, so my pick for you is The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi, which also, I mean, we made a lot of noise about it. It's an amazing book. But you didn't mention it, and I feel like it's exactly what you're looking for. So if for whatever reason you have not picked it up yet, this needs to be on your list. Uh, it is not magical realism or the fantasy. It's historical fiction, and it follows a very famous opera singer in France during the, I want to say it's, yeah, Second Empire Paris. Um, so there is like a background of war, but it's not a war novel in the way that I think you're saying you're not interested in um and the main character Liliet is like I said she's a she's a you know famous opera singer but it turns out that she is living under a false name and identity and has been for some time and the book really slowly unwinds the story of who she actually is what her life has been like and how she's gotten to this point which was not easy and not simple very complicated and she also is sort of Uh, on the outskirts of various big political historical moments but she's really living her own life and trying to just survive as a woman without any resources of her or family resources and which is you know in this time period very complicated 
And one of the things that I loved about this book, which made me think of it, is that I know nothing about opera. I zero. Like I've heard some opera at some point in my life. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you what. Uh, and I, you know, it's and Parisian history is also not sort of. I mean, it's interesting, but it's not my like personal sphere of interest. But this book made me feel like I learned things and like I wanted to know more about opera and you know Second Empire Paris. And it just it sucked me in. And she is such a good writer. And there's so much lush detail in here that I did exactly. I lost myself in it and, you know, looked up like four hours later and was like, what time is it? Where am I? Like, what's happening to me? So it is a book you could, it's, it's like so juicy and so long and just sucks you right in. And Lillian is an amazing character. And, you know, especially the ending was so satisfying. So I think this is definitely one that if you have missed it, you definitely need to pick it up. So again, that's The Queen of the Night by Alexander Cheek. Okay, let's see. Our next question is from Megan, who's looking for some book recommendations to give to my husband as part of my first year anniversary gift paper. Congratulations. Uh, we are celebrating by going on vacation in early May, planning to spend some of our downtime just hanging out in a coffee shop reading. He's not much of a reader. He enjoys it, but doesn't prioritize it as, as a hobby. He's read everything ever written by Ari Salvatore. We also read the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. Jim Butcher together and really enjoyed that. Uh, he's a gamer, enjoys a lot of popular sci-fi fantasy games and storylines. He enjoys action-y plots where the main characters emerge victorious that aren't too dark or complicated. Um, this was a very... Th thank you for breaking down all of the things you thought he would or would not enjoy. That was very useful. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Any suggestions for high fantasy books or series with shorter books that aren't Alhari Salvatore? Bonus points if it's a little more diverse than most of the list I've given here but I'd rather it be something he'd really enjoy than diverse for the sake of diversity. What you got, Amanda? Uh, I picked The Blueprint by Asma Zehanat Khan, uh, which is the first in a series. I think the second one just came out. Yeah. Excuse me. It is not Game of Thrones length. It's about 400 pages. So like not tiny, but not, I think not too much to deal with on vacation. And I, you know, I thought about this one for a bit because I couldn't decide if it was too dark because this is a fantasy allegory about the Taliban. So you can imagine that there's, there's some darkness uh, happening here. But it's it's also very adventure -y. Like, it's a very plot-driven. So in the fantasy world of this book, the power is called the talisman. So, you know, there's not even a lot of change in the letters happening here. And the talisman is led by a guy named the One-Eyed Preacher, who is a sociopath who's created this theocracy, you know, that is built on oppressing women and taking away the written word and not, you know, not allowing people to read. Books are outlawed. Um, and the main opponents of the spread of the talisman are the companions of Hera, which are this group of really powerful women who have magical powers that come from their sacred scripture called the claim. And so the main character's name is Arion, and she has an apprentice, and they are, you know, warriors who are trained to use the claim to go out into the world and fight the spread of these really awful ideas. And while they're out there to also um, free women and often children from slave, uh, slave, the slave trade that the talisman has opened. So there is, you know, it's violent. There's a lot of sword play. And like, I think one of them has a whip. I don't remember. Uh, one of the women, or maybe that's Wonder Woman. Am I mixing up like weird fantasy elements? Is that like... <laughs> no, I think you're not wrong. They have different kinds of weapons. Yeah, like it's not just a sword. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it Wonder Woman or is it a fight against the Taliban? I don't remember. Um, anyway, so they go out into the world to defeat this evil, which is spreading very um, quickly. And so they, you know, 
I don't want to get too much into the plot, but they have, there's a little bit of political intrigue, but not, again, not Game of Thrones level where you have to keep track of like 45 different families and houses and who hates who and why and who's sleeping with who and why. There's just like two, two people that you have to keep track of. Um, and there are like romantic intrigues all the while. There's this big fight against just like OG good versus evil happening um, in a really magical, mystical, well-built fantasy world. So I think that it would make for a great, you know, vacation reading. Again, little dark, but I don't think so, so much so that it's going to like put them off. So that's The Bloodprint by Ozma Zehanakan. I picked Magic Bites, which is the first book in the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews, because for my money, it is the best comp to the Dresden Files. Mm. And I prefer it mm. to the Dresden Files because it is much better about women quite frankly and does have like a real world sort of cast of diverse characters there's queer characters or characters of color as the series goes along you meet the cast gets bigger and bigger and is so interesting and fascinating um and it is about a private investigator a sort of magic private investigator much like the dresden files uh kate daniels who in this first book is really in rough shape like she's drinking too much she's living alone in this house outside of Atlanta and just kind of scrapping by she you know gets odd jobs cleaning up after weird magical problems and you find out that the reason that she's so isolated is because she is in hiding and the world she lives in is our world but with the twist that magic has returned to the world after a very long hiatus and now magic and tech work in waves so like one hour your car will start and your phones will work and you know everything is pretty like vanilla and then the next hour suddenly the magic is up and spells will work but your car won't start and the phone doesn't work anymore and so you are constantly sort of shifting between these two modes never sure if like if you're a spellcaster like is your spell gonna work or is the tech gonna come up and like if you're just a norm like what's gonna happen to you so she's navigating this world and she has a very secret past and is in hiding and there are vampires and shapeshifters and, you know, all kinds of supernatural creatures running around. And she has to sort of make her way through this situation. And the plot, the, the series is done, by the way. It's 10 books. It is done. It is complete. So <laughs> if you have been like wanting a series, but you don't want to wait on new books, like this is the one for you. That's a unicorn. <laughs> it is a unicorn. And it's, I, I'm not kidding you. They get better with every single book. Like the books actually get better, which is a real feat over a 10 book series. And I think it has a lot of the same plotting and pacing as Salvatore or Jim Butcher. It's just, but the characters are so intense. And the thing that I like better about it is that these characters have a lot of nuance and complexity and they grow and change over the course of these books in a way that you just don't always see when you have an urban fantasy series. Like the characters, like they have a shtick, they are who they are. Maybe they have some ups and downs, but they don't really, like Jim, like Dresden Files, you know, Harry Dresden is kind of the same forever. Like he's a white knight. He's either more or less dinged up, but like he is who he is. But Kate actually has a character growth arc that I love. I'm a, I just think it's fantastic. And there's great action. There's great, like, all just all just kind of great plot stuff. I don't want to give too much away. It's hard to remember for me which is in which book because I've read all of them. Uh, but yeah, I think it. I think it'll be super fun. And they're not long. The first book is like 260 pages in mass market. They're tiny. They'll fit in your suitcase. So I think this would be an ideal series to start on a vacation. So again, that's Magic Bites, which is the first book in the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews. 
All right, before we move on, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is The Fall of Crazy House by James Patterson, familiar name there, and Gabrielle Charbonnet. So um, I love this, this like tagline, escape is just the beginning. Dun, dun, dun. So these are this, these books are about twin sisters, Becca and Casey. They barely got out of the crazy house alive. Now they're trained, skilled fighters who fear nothing, not even the all-powerful United regime. So together, the sisters hold the key to defeating the despotic government and freeing the people of the former United States. But to win this war, will they have to become the very thing they hate? You will find out in this follow-up to his YA book, Crazy House. Um, so this is the next book in the series. And I did not know that James Patterson had written a dystopian YA thriller. What? But that has happened. <laughs> that's amazing. What hasn't he written? <laughs> God, that's a good point. What hasn't it? What can James Patterson not do is the question. So the books are about these twin sisters who are at the center of this like political revolt. They're up against the one percenters who control their world and are intent on keeping the 99% segregated and subjugated. So the sequel is written from dual points of view and is all about race, segregation, class struggle from James Patterson. I am so interested in this, y'all. Like, <laughs> I, is James Patterson like a secret revolutionary or has, is he like an open revolutionary and I just didn't know it? What? What? I'm so interested. I'm interested. I might, I might pick it up. Like I might go find the first book in the series. So anyway, that is The Fall of Crazy House by James Patterson and the co-author is Gabrielle Charbonnet. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, question five is from Heather, who says, I would love to find a few children's books that focus on living in a non-traditional family, being raised by an aunt or other family member, um, to help during a transition period for a resilient four-year-old and her cousins, who she's now living with permanently. I found books about adoption or living with grandparents, but I'm struggling to find something that seems to speak to their situation. She loves being read to, and I think this is a situation where seeing yourself in the story could really help. Okay, I'm just gonna keep going. I picked a little picture book called Families, Families, Families! Exclamation point! Uh, by Suzanne Lang and Max Lang. And this is really just like a delightful, silly book that explores all the different ways that families can appear. Moms, dads, sisters, brothers. There is a kid living with an aunt in the book. They are, they are also animals. So uh, pandas, lions, the lions are super cute. Uh, and the book is done through family portraits. So like every page is a new, I don't like almost, do you remember those old school, like when you would go to JCPenney with your family and have like terrible hair and get your portrait done in like a, the studio? At yes. JCPenney? Oh God. They I all do. look like that, but like <laughs> pandas. So it's just Amazing. delightful. Um, and then every page is a new, uh, a new family portrait with a, like an explanation of who is in the family. And every page is a different you know, celebration of a different kind of iteration of what your family can and what families often do look like um, in both traditional and non-traditional, I don't know, iterations. It's just really cute. It's like cute, very heartwarming, very sweet. Um, and I think really appropriate for a four-year-old. So that's Families, 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 Don't Forget the Explanation Point by Suzanne Lang and Max Lang. I went to the contributors for some help with this one. And Margaret Kingsbury recommended a book that I thought looked really solid. It is Me, Toma, and the Concrete Garden by Andrew Larson, illustrated by Anne Villeneuve. And this is one where it's not specifically about like, and now you live with somebody else, uh, but that is part of the plot. And then there's a bigger plot. So I thought that might be like a nice like side approach to this thing rather than just like, a, here's a book about when you don't live with your mom and dad anymore. 
And so it's about a little boy that goes to live with his aunt when his mom is recovering from surgery. And he, uh, she lives in a very like city neighborhood. Uh, and it, it, nothing seems too promising. Like there's not much around. There's an empty dirt lot across the street. And then Vincent, who's the little boy, meets a neighbor named Toma. And things start to look up. Uh, Aunt Mimi has a mysterious box of dirt balls in her apartment that she asks Vincent to get rid of and so Vincent and Toma like have a good old time throwing them into the empty lot just for funsies and then one day they notice there are all these little plants sprouting up so maybe those balls weren't just made of dirt um so it's actually about like gardening in an urban environment and being part of a community and what that looks like with the added bonus that this is a little boy who is living with his aunt because he can't live with his mom at the moment so I thought that might be a nice sort of normalizing of it because it's not just all about that it's about all these other things and and who doesn't love a book about urban gardening like maybe that's just me I don't (laughs) so (laughs) it's definitely me uh so the book again is me Toma and the Concrete Garden by Andrew Larson illustrated by Anne Villeneuve and our next question is from Anne who says I'm a librarian who needs some advice. I'm looking for a quirky, literary-leaning mystery. I have really enjoyed Lisa Lutz's Spellman's, Peter Heller's Celine, Sarah Grand's Claire DeWitt series, Gabriel Cohen, and Charlie Houston. I do not like psychological thrillers or too much gore. I guess what I like is quirky, and it can have a touch of noir or humor. What you got, Amanda? Uh, I have hella quirky for you, is what I have. (laughs) It's called Girl Waits with Gun. It's by Amy Stewart. She wrote that earthworm book I really like. She did. She she wrote, uh, there's an insects one and a worms book and a plants book. And the drunken botanist. Yeah. Amy Stewart writes just all the things. She is quirktastic. Anyway, so The Girl Waits with Gun is the first in her series of mysteries about the cop sisters. And it is just so quirky. So these sisters, I think it takes place in 1912? Early 1900s. Very early 1900s. And they live in Jersey. Constance is the main character. She lives with, uh, 1914. Um, and she lives with two of her sisters. Her parents have passed away. Her brother lives in the city with his family. Um, and they're on their own, kind of making it work. She's not, Constance is like not interested in getting married. She's just trying to keep her sisters, you know, like their house and family running. And the book opens with them in their buggy, like going down the street in town. Uh, and they get hit by a man in a, in a car, um, so you can imagine the damage that like a car does to a horse and buggy. Um, they are injured, not like super seriously, but their buggy's completely destroyed. And Constance gets the information from the guy who's like soup, the driver who's super belligerent, very rude, um, finally gives her the information so that he can pay to replace her buggy. And as she gets like, <laughs> goes farther into the process of trying to get him to compensate her and his and her family, she realizes that he's actually like a gang boss. (laughs) She's like gone up against this very powerful criminal underlord guy. Like all she wants him to do is pay for this blasted buggy that he hit, but he just like refuses to do it. So um, the sheriff gets like, gets involved and Constance gets involved. And anyway, I I don't have to go. So like the mystery is not gory. It's not like murder. It's more like who is this dude and how is, is uh, Constance going to get, what she wants from him based around this one very simple, very non-gory again, crime of like her buggy being destroyed. And she's based on a real person, Constance is, the first female sheriff uh, in the country. So 
that's super interesting. And all of the characters, all the side characters, like her sisters are really great. One of them is like very girly and kind of flighty and goofy. And the other one just is this cranky, I don't know, like just does not want to leave the farm, is not interested in anything having to do with the outside world. She's my favorite. She is just, she's cranky pants. Gotta love cranky pants. So that's Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. Yeah, super fun that one. Yeah. I picked a book that has been read and beloved by many people at Book Riot. It's on my TBR. It's IQ by Joe Ide. And this is definitely on uh, the quirky, interesting side. It's not super gory. Um, and it takes place in East Long Beach, uh, which is one of LA's toughest neighborhoods. And there are a lot of crimes in the neighborhood that go unsolved. And the police just don't have the time or interest to follow up on them. So... IQ, who is a guy who lives in, you know, the neighborhood, is a loner. He's a high school dropout. But like very Sherlock Holmesy, he has this immense IQ, very smart. And he is the local neighborhood crime solver. And he just charges people whatever they can afford, like chickens, casserole, who cares? Um, but he also has to take on clients who can pay money so that he can do things like pay his rent and continue to work with the people in his neighborhood and not charge them. Uh, and so in this first book, it is a series. In this first book, there's a rap mogul whose life is in danger. And there's like a vengeful ex-wife and a crew of cutthroats and an attack dog and a hitman and, you know, all of like wacky characters and complicated, tangly, whodunit, red herrings all over the place. And it is really immersed in the neighborhood that IQ lives in. And the author, uh, Joe Ide, is from South Central Los Angeles. So it's like very much based on his experience growing up in that neighborhood. And I think it would definitely be like the kind of mystery that you will end up loving. And it's a series, so there's more. So again, that's IQ by Joe Ide. I love that book so much. Right. I, I, I'm, I just am, I'm going to read it. I swear <laughs> to God. I'm just waiting for the right moment. <laughs> All right. Our last question is from Emily, who says, I've been reading a bunch of Afrofuturism from Nigerian or Nigerian-American authors. I find the culture and folklore it explores fascinating and would love some memoirs or biographies so I could have a more grounded perspective and be able to have more context to the fantasy novels. The books I've read are all about women in the Igbo tribe, but any Nigerian or West African would be good if Igbo is too specific. Okay, um, I went for Looking for Trans Wonderland by New Sarawiwa. And I'm not sure if she's Igbo. She's Nigerian. Um, she is actually, I think she was born in England, but she was definitely raised in England. And every summer, her family took her back to Nigeria, and she hated it. Um, she did not like losing, you know, the, the, what she considered to be the comfort of her life in England. Um, and her father, Ken, was a political activist in Nigeria who was murdered um, in Nigeria. And so she stopped going. She didn't go back for 10 years. And then when she decided to write the book, um, it was based on her decision to really go back to Nigeria as an adult and explore this place that held so much emotional baggage and legitimate fear for her um, to ever go back to. So she goes back and her travels through it are, I mean, she goes everywhere. She goes to Lagos, she goes to the mountains, she goes to Trans Wonderland in the title is a uh, what is a, an amusement park that Nigeria tried to build as like an answer to Disneyland that completely failed and is deserted and empty and creepy and weird. Um, she does some looking into the history of the country, um, Nollywood, like the effects of slavery, colonialism. It's, it's a whole, I don't travel log. Like it's very, it's fascinating. Um, and I think what separates this book really from a lot of travel writing is is her personal connection to it you know like this is not bill bryson tromping through england because he likes it like she has so much personal investment and such a love-hate relationship to the country she doesn't 
mince words about like how corrupt the economy is and the political system. It's, you know, obvious for obvious reasons, it, it murdered her father. Uh, and she has, you're wa- kind of watching her fall back in love with the place and kind of watching her realize the Nigeria that her father fought for, if that makes sense. So it's it's a really emotional look. And and I also like from somebody who, like our questioner is looking for books about the country because you don't know anything about it necessarily, you're not from there. Um, I think the perspective of someone who isn't from Nigeria, but is Nigerian and has a really personal connection to it is a good like place to start. So that's Looking for Trans Wonderland by New Sarawiwa. That book looks so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked a memoir by Chinua Achibe, who is one of, if not the sort of foremost Nigerian writers of our time. And this is, like I said, his memoir. It came out in 2012, and he has been writing novels for a very long time and had not addressed this directly until this memoir came out. So it was very, like, it was a really big deal when this came out. Um, and it is about the Nigerian Civil War, also known as the Biafran War, which happened in 1967 to 1970. And he was a novelist at that point um, and had a family and sided with the Biafran Biafran side um, and served as a roving cultural ambassador, which meant that he saw a lot of the sort of worst of this civil war. And this is not a thing I know much about. And so, um, and I think a lot of perhaps Americans in our generation do not know much about. So I think it's important reading. Um, And he, uh, after the war was over, he came to the United States and took an academic post and then, you know, for the next 40 years, like basically didn't write about it. Um, and so this is a big deal for him to have sort of put all of this down on paper and share the story. So it's about, you know, how Nigeria came to be the country that it is now, his own life, and then how, you know, internal conflicts uh, tore his country and his own life apart. And so, you know, not not light reading, but um, I think it is important context for a lot of the current, you know, Nigerian politics and what's going on culturally there you know this is this is important to know about so again that's there was a country uh by chinua achibe and that is our show Ta-da! jazz hands i don't think i've said jazz hands <laughs> once all year it lasted four oh. months that might not be true wow. that might not be true i might be lying i don't know thank you guys for listening please go leave us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts. thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show you can find us on social media i'm on instagram at i'm amanda nelson i am on twitter as jen irl and i recently started a bookstagram and stole amanda's uh, <laughs> <laughs> avatar name framing uh you can find me on instagram as i am jen irl and that's jen with two n's irl we will talk to y'all next week <laughs>